You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Good morning, Faith Church. I just want to say it has been a real privilege and a delight uh, to be here the last three weeks uh, giving a message, and I look forward today, too. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to Dylan coming back, but I just want, want you to know how, how much I've enjoyed uh, having this opportunity with you. Hey, by the way, just, just uh, a little off the, the, the cuff here, we talk about uh, being in the fire, in the waters. Yeah, everything in that song that we just sang, it all ties back to a scriptural story. And I just got to say that because the more familiar you are with the story, the more you're diving into the word, hey, the more meaning those songs will take on. And I think God is intended for us to draw our strength from knowing the story. So I just, I just want to encourage you that way. I know we're on summer break, as it were, but sometimes we take a spiritual vacation too. This is a good call to just kind of think about jumping into the Word, and I don't care where you jump in, uh, dig in, dive in, all right? So th- there's my little charge here. That's pre-sermon. That's free. So anyway, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go ahead. If you're able and willing, would you rise and we'll read the Word? Uh, I, I appreciate it. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, you may be seated. Well, uh, let me ask you this morning. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself exhausted under the weight of trying to live out expectations. Maybe it's that boss that seems impossible to please. Maybe, gosh, if we're just being honest, maybe there's a family member, could be a parent, could be somebody else in the family. Maybe maybe it just seems like we're always falling short. Or if we're being super honest, maybe even here as you look across the room, uh, you feel kind of a a sense uh, of kind of, falling short. You look at somebody else, you compare yourself with them, and you say, how come I can't get it together like they do? You know, there's a sense in which all of us can struggle from time to time, and some routinely, with the sense of trying to measure up. And what we do so often is we try to put on the best face we can. We, we do our best to clean ourselves up and put on the best face before others. And, and I think it's, it's pretty telling that we, that we do this. Uh, this isn't just something that happens in the church. Sometimes church gets criticized for this. But the truth is, it's universal. It's everywhere we go. Every world religion struggles with this same issue of trying to clean ourselves up. In addition, 
if you wanted to leave religion behind, and some try to ditch this exhaustion by just throwing off all religion, you're not going to escape that sense of wanting to keep up appearances either. It, it's, it's universal. It's everywhere we go. And if it's not dogging you one day, it may come back on another. And, and so I, I just, I just got to throw that out, you know. Uh, we're, we're masters uh, of keeping up appearances. We're good at it on, on social media. You know, put our best picture out there and kind of keep the appearance up. Now, I'm not saying that everybody struggles with this equally, but I'm saying it is universal. And I'm saying it even goes back to the very beginning. Let's think for a second about Adam and Eve. Uh, what was it that they did after their first sin? They ran and they hid from God, and they later showed up wearing fig leaves to cover their nakedness and shame. I want you to think about how, how ridiculous that is, the audacity. The all-knowing, all-seeing God is going to be fooled by fig leaves to cover their nakedness and shame, a, a shame they hadn't previously known. Can you imagine it? Nothing unusual here, God. Just been out doing some shopping. I needed some new clothing. What do you think of my new threads? Listen, God is not fooled. How lame. But the truth, again, is we do the same thing. We do it with God, and we do it with each other. And, and so often we come to his word, or we come to kind of some teaching about his word, and we can feel the weight of expectation and say, gosh, am I measuring up? And maybe the answer is not so much sometimes. Some of you today might be feeling a bit of weight as we talk about kind of the, the expectation of, of God's commands, even in some of these past promises. Well, would it encourage you this morning if I told you that God anticipated this struggle, that he recognized that we would all fall short and that we would struggle in this way uh, in our own strength to try to keep things up? And this is, this tendency towards exhaustion is yet another call to trust him. And obviously, we've been, the last few weeks, we've been looking at, at this series called The Promise. And so, we want to just kind of remind ourselves uh, what we've seen. We've seen uh, a promise made to Adam and Eve because at the very beginning in the garden, the call, even in perfection, when things were ideal, the paradise, was to trust God, to take him at his word. But we struggled with that from the very start. But God would make a promise to Adam and Eve that someday he would crush the serpent and ultimately sin and death because of the curse that had come about in their rebellion. We saw that he would make additional promises, first to Abraham, then to Moses, and ultimately to David. And each of these promises we saw are, are actually interconnected. They're all part of this great promise to reverse the curse, to lift the crushing blow of, of sin and death, to, to crush it in return. And what an amazing promise that is. But we're going we're gonna to pick up yet today another part of this because that interconnected part, we're going to see it just kind of blow up all the more, right? So far, we've seen Jesus is 
the one that would live out the true priestly calling that Israel had. He would walk in the true, uh, you know, pleasing uh, nature of keeping God's commands and living the life God had called. And he would one day be uh, the ruler that would lead perfectly this corrupt world. But, but uh, let's look at it here as we examine yet another covenant. We're going to call this the new covenant. And just as a reminder, we've got a summarized version of this here. This is coming from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. I will put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them, to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You may be looking at this passage and say, that sounds an awful lot like Jesus. And yep, <laughs> you're absolutely right, okay? The wonder of it isn't that this sounds like Jesus. The wonder of it is this is nested deep in the heart of the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Jesus would arrive on the scene in Bethlehem, born in the manger, this promise is made. And this has got the gospel fingerprints all over it, all right? This is like God proclaiming the gospel in advance. Pretty amazing. Again, this is coming out of Jeremiah. This is not a New Testament passage. We've got to recognize that. So as we unpack this, we're going we're to look at three pieces to this promise I'm going to do a little rearranging of the order of them, okay, just to make it clear. But uh, they're all coming from this passage, and we'll see that. So let's take a look at the first one. The first of these is that all sins are forgiven. That's astounding, right? This is the heart uh, of our problem, right? We've got a sin problem. Now, if you're not coming this morning with a, a biblical understanding of sin, this might not seem all that impressive, Let's just kind of think in some general terms. To sin uh, can be categorized as to miss the mark, okay? Now, uh, as, as we recognize uh, that, uh, to miss the mark can carry a whole bunch of nuances. Uh, but when we think of Israel and their track record, right? We, we say, hey, they missed the mark in trusting God. They missed the mark in carrying out his commands. They missed the mark in their call to point others faithfully to him. All right? They missed the mark in a variety of ways. And it's important to recognize that this isn't just the big stuff. All right? Some, some of you come maybe with the idea that, that sin is the big stuff like murder or abuse that's not the biblical understanding of sin. Sin, again, is to miss the mark. Whose mark? The holy God's mark, okay? And here again, we're, we're tying back to just recognizing the difficulty sometimes of living under expectations. But right off the bat, we've got this promise, sin's forgiven. We're going to come back. We're going to tie this up together more. How about this idea of iniquity? Sometimes they say, well, it's another synonym for sin. Yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe technically iniquity would be willful sin um, because sins can be both intentional and unintentional, all right? It's important for us to realize that. The biblical understanding doesn't like let go sins that we didn't mean to do. 
And, and that, that, that can be a, a little bit alarming uh, sometimes because don't we often excuse ourselves uh, of the things we didn't mean to do? Uh, more on that in a moment. But this idea of sins forgiven, whether they are willful, whether they are unintended, God promises a full pardon for sin. Now, that's pretty astounding. I've mentioned Israel, but how about you and I? Again, there's a tendency that we all have to kind of make light of our sin. Maybe it's because we're coming with a less than biblical definition. But think about it. All the times in a given day, we can't even tabulate them, to be honest with you, where we fail to do what we ought to do, or we do things or say things we ought not. Sometimes, gosh, I'm going to go deeper. It's the things that we're thinking about. You know, when I, when, when I first began to understand that, I, I honestly thought at the start of my Christian faith, like, hey, I'm cleaning up pretty quick. Then I started realizing that the thoughts of my heart count too. And all of a sudden, I'm a little more concerned, right? This is a full pardon for all sin. Folks, that's astounding. That's absolutely remarkable. And I want to I exhort you this morning, if you don't find that to be remarkable, again, I want to I ask you maybe to re-examine your definition and your understanding of sin, because ultimately, hey, what we're going to be talking about in this Jeremiah 31 New Covenant promise, I mean this, this is worth more than the winnings of any Powerball jackpot. The payout is greater, folks. A full pardon for sins. I, for one, am, am just amazed, and I'm, I'm grateful because I know my sins better than any of you know my sins. I need this pardon. So I'll forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sins no more. Secondly, want to look at this idea of relationship restored. Wow. God is going to take this promise, as if pardon of sin wasn't enough, he's going to take it a step deeper. And he's going to do it by restoring the relationship that had been broken between him and humanity, a relationship that all of us had lost in Adam and Eve from the very beginning. And he's going to restore it. You may not know this, but this idea of God being in relationship with his people the same people that he exiled from the garden, it is mentioned hundreds of times throughout the scriptures that God would establish relationship with his people. This, this is profound, uh, just in different ways. There are at least 15 occurrences of this idea, I will be their God and they will be my people. I want you to think about how beautiful that is if you really contemplate it. Let's just take for example... The idea of a broken relationship, many of you know what I'm talking about presently. You would say, hey, I'm aware of a broken relationship in my extended family or with a friend. Some of you might even be carrying a significant amount of pain regarding that. And maybe it's something that you uh, don't feel that you did, but it's something that you feel is maybe impossible to mend because of the stance Somebody else has taken. 
Can you think about how hard it is when we've been wronged to make that first move to restore a broken relationship? I want you to contemplate again how unfathomable it is that the perfect God who has never sinned and who has never once been wronged but was egregiously wronged by his own creation, that's the God that would step in to make the first and decisive and defining move to restore the broken relationship. Again, maybe you're coming with a general worldly understanding of humanity. We, we like to say humans are basically good. Now, this may offend some of you, but Scripture is very much at odds with that idea. Scripture says very clearly, even in the New Testament, it says that mankind, humanity, stood hostile to God at enmity with Him. That's a stance, folks, of saying, I ain't budging an inch. There's a broken relationship. I'm not doing anything about it, all right? I'm very happy forging my own path without this relationship. That, that's the relationship that existed, this enmity, and then God in His, in his rightness, and yet God is the one that's going to break through to restore this relationship. Again, I invite you to think on a human level, how unthinkable is that? This, this is astounding. You and I were made for relationship with the living God. And God is doing everything, and he's forecasted it in these series of promises we've been looking at to restore this relationship. And here it is, in the heart of the Old Testament, God's saying, I am going to do this, this new covenant. I'm not only going to forgive your sins, I'm going to make that relationship whole again. And it's going to be profound. Last week I said very clearly, in his presence there is fullness of joy. God is the grand prize of heaven. And so when we get that right, we realize God is offering us the ability to be with him as things ought to be. That is, that is pure, pure joy. So relationship restored, but wait, there's more, all right? We've got a third option, okay? All right, Jeremiah is going to tell us of a new or changed heart. That's what I'm calling it. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. I will put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. All right? We, we get that sense again of relationship, but this isn't just saying, hey, I'm going to let bygones be bygones. We won't count your sins. That, that's remarkable. <laughs> We're not just saying, hey, we can, we can be friends again. We're saying at the heart of this, I'm going to give you a new transformed way of viewing everything about our relationship. Previously, previously the laws of the old covenant weren't written on hearts. You remember where they were written? Moses came down the mountain, right? The summary of them were etched on two stone tablets. How metaphorical is that in helping us to recognize something here? That metaphor of on the stone tablets Hey, they're etched into something hard. They're on the external of those tablets in much the same way that before God's promise of the new covenant, mankind at enmity within him, even his own people Israel, stood with sort of an external desire 
to carry out his commands. His commands had never penetrated their hearts because their hearts were hard as stone. They were cold towards God at the you know, end of it all. We, we could just kind of recognize throughout their history, their roller coaster of failures, their hearts had never fundamentally changed. They were keepers of the promise, or at least the holders of the promise, but they had never really been transformed by it. The, the idea of this etched on stone tablets is contrasted with what Jeremiah is referring to here. Ezekiel will mention it too. Ezekiel will talk about hearts of flesh. Now, I want you to think about the contrast there. The hearts of flesh rather than the hearts of stone, a hearts that would be receptive and soft towards the things of God, hearts that would receive what God had commanded and what he was calling his people to, a living heart. Wow. This is quite a promise. So God is promising not only a full pardon of sin, not only a right relationship, but he's promising a new and transformed heart. And here's why that is so significant, right? It's so significant because if you gave us all millions, hey, I'll up the ante, even unlimited numbers of attempts, without God stepping in to give us this spiritual heart transplant, we would never, we would never carry out his calling for our lives. We would never measure up. And it's not simply because he's an angry uh, angry or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, angry or, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I just, I just lost my train of thought. But, but he's not like he's an angry or an impossible God, just obsessed with standards that aren't really that big of a deal. No, his standards are good. But we're just not able to live it out. We don't have that new heart, all right? And so the promise here is everything. This is why I'm saying this is like a spiritual jackpot, right? Better than any payout in this world. Now, again, I'm going to come back and just recognize some people, if they're coming with the wrong understanding of who humanity is and who God is, they may not be all that impressed. I just want to exhort you this morning. If you would just search your own mind and heart and say this morning, I don't understand why Christians like yourself are just so obsessed about uh, talk about sins and, and about, you know, God doing what we can't do for ourselves. I, I want to say very lovingly, that may be a sign that you lack the new heart and that the new covenant promise is not something that you've yet embraced because those that do are going to begin to have this new heart and passion uh, for not only recognizing their sin, but recognizing the wonder of the God who has rescued them from it. Uh, this, this is God at work, and he's going to blow this up in the New Testament, obviously. Uh, this is God at work to, to reverse the curse. So we've got these three things, the, the changed heart, We've got the sins forgiven and the relationship restored. How about the idea of how Jesus fulfills this? We've been looking at this every week, and I, I think a number of you would anticipate uh, where this is going to go. But let's take a look at a few scriptures, right? We're going we're to look at, first of all, this being fulfilled, um, really Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is just a, a, a great exposition uh, 
on God fulfilling uh, the covenants of the Old Testament through Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 9, starting in verse 15, says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, there's a lot here. Let's not just, uh, you know, get lost in this. Uh, the, The main thing that we're emphasizing is that Jesus will indeed be the one to enact this new covenant promise. He's the mediator. He's the keeper of this promise. He's going to be the one that will enact it. When does he enact it? He's going to enact enact it when he dies on the cross. That's why it says, for a will takes effect only at death. Jesus is not just a mere man. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. I've said before, if you need help understanding that more clearly, email Dylan, all right? He'll he'll wrap that up for you. I don't know, Uh, but 100% God, 100% man, and here's why that's so vitally important. God was the one that made the first covenant. It'll have to be God, who is referred to in this covenant promise earlier as the husband. It will have to be the passing of God, as it were, in order to ratify a, a new covenant to take the place of the old one, and that's exactly what we have at the cross. We've got God the Son substituting for our sins, and as he does, the old covenant will be able to be canceled at that point, fulfilled, first of all, we would recognize, but, but ultimately, it will be replaced with the new covenant, all right? That, that's huge. So, Jesus is going to be the one to enact it. Let's talk just a little bit more. Uh, Hebrews will go on to say that by a single offering, that's the sacrifice of Christ at the cross, uh, he has perfected all for all time those who are being sanctified, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. All right? It's not a not a follow-up sacrifice needed, but I've highlighted here from this Hebrews 10 passage, I've highlighted in yellow some key words here. Do you recognize, do you recognize the prophecy of Jeremiah written right in there? This is the same words of Jeremiah being echoed, and this would call us to think back to what Jeremiah had prophesied. God is definitely fulfilling the new covenant promise, and he's doing it as Jesus is enacting it in his death and ultimately uh, confirming it in his resurrection. So, there is the promise fulfilled, and what a wondrous thing. Again, this is blowing up what was prophesied in the Old Testament. I want us this morning… If you are bearing weight right now, if you are feeling the burden of not meeting up, the expectations of God, I want us to recognize there is rest and there is freedom and there is hope. So all of these covenants working together, and we've pressed hard on a couple of the weeks to really have us examine ourselves, but at the end of it all, it is this new covenant promise that is going to be the foundation uh, of hope that we stand on. 
Let's look at a second important thing, and I want us to grasp this. I think there's a lot of confusion in the church, and I'm talking about even amongst longtime Christians. We saw in the Hebrews passage how Jesus is the mediator. Some of us would kind of readily define mediator as the go-between. And here's where we can kind of make a little bit of an error if we're not careful. That error can sound something like this. The Old Testament is an old angry God, impossible to please. The New Testament is a loving God, gracious and merciful. And it took this New Testament understanding, it took Jesus to kind of step in between this angry father to save me. And and we can almost think of ourselves as not really all that guilty. And God the Father is a little unreasonable. We can put this even in human terms. Sometimes dads in this human life can be just very demanding and sometimes even hurtful sometimes even using their strength in a, in a way that is just harmful. And, and sometimes moms can step in to protect their children. Sometimes we can kind of take this idea with God, and we can kind of say, hey, that fierce God of the Old Testament, uh, Jesus is kind of like the mom who, who steps in to kind of like mediate and, and, and talk that dad down from the ledge. Folks, that's just a, a gross misunderstanding of Scripture. One of the things we need to be clear on is that Jesus is going to enact the will of the Father. This this new covenant promise is going to be the Father's will. Jesus, God the Son, is going to carry out the will of God the Father. Lots of scriptures in the New Testament make clear that Jesus does only what the Father is willing or wanting. Everything Jesus does is in tight unity with what the Father has planned and has ordained. In other words, when Jesus shows up to do something, he's carrying out the heart of the Father. So we need to be very, very clear that the Old Testament has revealed throughout that God had a desire to make the first move to establish the restored, restored relationship with his people, to bring forgiveness and relationship and a new heart. So Jesus isn't stepping in doing something other. This isn't, in one sense, this isn't all that new of a covenant, all right? I, I don't want to play fast and free with Scripture. It is the new covenant, but, but it's not like it was a new idea. God had this from the beginning, and we need to recognize this. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Well, we've seen that Jesus is the one that fulfills the covenant. He enacts it. He fulfills the will of the Father. So here's the question. I want to ask this morning, how are you going to respond And and I think it's important for us to do that uh, in a couple of ways. Uh, First of all, I think that this promise, this new covenant promise, especially as we recognize how it is the answer to all the promises in Scripture. In fact, Scripture will even say that every promise of God finds their yes and amen in Jesus. That's what the Scriptures say. We've, we've, kind of, we've kind of seen that. We've sampled that over these last three weeks and, and today. We need to recognize that God is faithful to his promise. 
We need to be absolutely convinced of that. And so often, as we started out this series, we just kind of asked, when do you struggle to trust God? So often that can come because things don't happen on our timetable. And as we've seen in the promises laid out in the Scripture, hey, there was hundreds of years that transpired in many cases between any movement on the promise. God's sometimes dealing on a whole different timetable than we're comfortable with. And this idea of waiting on God, trusting Him even when we don't see, oh, it can be tough. But I think as we look at these four promises together, we see a track record of God's faithfulness, and we see the yes and amen that indeed the promise made to Adam and Eve to reverse the curse, oh, it's, it's there. Sin and death have been dealt a fatal blow in God's faithful bringing about of this new covenant promise. We've got to hold on a little longer to realize it in full, but listen, this is, Jesus is proof of God's faithfulness. So we need to hold on to that. And that, that'll bring us to our second point here, right? I think a, a right response to this whole series is to cling to the promise, to cling to it. Now, for some of us, maybe some in this room, still you acknowledge you haven't come to a point of putting your trust in the promise of Jesus in the first place. You don't have that heart, that new heart, that restored heart, those part, the pardon of sins that we've talked about. You, you don't have that yet because your trust is not in Jesus. You might be going through some, you know, uh, motions of, of doing good things, and you might be, uh, in all external appearances, a good person, but you don't have that new heart and that new relationship God would be offering to you. And I just want to say, hey, for you, clinging to God means call out to Him. Humble yourself. Stop trusting in your own strength and efforts. They won't deliver you any more than, you know, refusing to, you know, take the parachute. Instead, flap your arms. He's going to deliver you on a free fall. But now, how about the rest of us? I think there's an overwhelming tendency for people who have been in church for a while and are genuine Christians think there's a tendency for you to check out and say, hey, I know that, I did that, might have even done it years ago. You put your, your trust in the promise sort of in your back pocket. Got that filed away. Folks, this promise, when I say cling to it, this promise is intended, it's intended for you and me to hold on to it day by day and let it transform who we are and what we are living for. That sin nature that exists in all of us has been radically replaced by something new that enables us to act and to will and to live according to God's purposes. I don't mean that we're going to be free and perfect in this life uh, like, like we've arrived. It's a process. But some of you, if you're being honest and transparent, some of you would have to say, it's been years since I've seen any real growth in myself spiritually. I'm in a holding pattern. This idea of clinging to the promise of God, oh, it's meant to fuel a spiritual life and a vitality and change. Yeah, God's not demanding perfection overnight, 
But the idea of a true follower of Christ that looks the same today as he or she did 10, 15 years ago, hey, that's, that's not really evidence of this new covenant promise alive and well. That heart of flesh, it's going to produce something in you. And so as, as we wrap this up, I want to again challenge, especially the followers of Christ, if you're not diving deeper into the Word and into the promise of God, if you're not letting the, the encouragements that we're talking about here be a part of your regular devotional life where you are clinging to it and letting it change your day-to-day approach, hey, this is, this is a wake-up call. Let's, let's, let's dig into this promise as a community because that's where, that's where the real uh, fireworks of the faith will begin. I just want us to recognize that this morning. So let's go ahead. We'll wrap up with prayer again. So delighted, so delighted in this promise. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We recognize that you have been faithful in Scripture. And even when we have failed, Lord, when your people have failed and when we failed just routinely, Lord, you have persevered in faithfulness. You have, you have freely given to us the promise to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us to cling to that promise. And I pray that you would have your way in our hearts that this promise would be the foundation that we stand upon and that we press into a deeper dive of a relationship with you. We, we ask for your grace to strengthen us, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.